Okay, fantastic. Ready? Three, two, one. Do it live. <laughs> this is the dad, the bad dad. This is the bad dad podcast. <laughs> Sorry. All right. This is the bad dad podcast. We are Aaron, father of four, world record holder for most non-consecutive, uh, non sequiturs used in a single sentence and dave father of four also i think and runner up of the odessa's got talent singing competition 2022 and me mateo father of two i think also and this is our podcast That was nicely done, Mateo. I don't care what the family of that eight-year-old girl says, Dave, you should have won. You were robbed, and it was not fair. Uh, All right, well, this is the Are We Bad Dads podcast, here to talk about Wait Till Next Year by one of our favorite historians, Doris Kearns Goodwin, who made multiple history historian mount rushmore's i think i may put her on and bump somebody off i'm thinking after this book i'm thinking about that but oh for sure yeah it it was the historian mount rushmore's they you can take people on and off yeah i would bump i would bump somebody off to put her on again yeah, I think she could have two spots up here. Two spots? Sure. Like, like one spot is Doris Kearns and the other one's Goodwin, maybe? Mm-hmm. Maybe one is Doris Kearns Goodwin as a little girl. As uh, a six-year-old girl taking her notes in, in the baseball in, game. Right, taking her notes in the baseball mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Okay. Well, well let, let me throw a little bit of a... Uh, you guys can tell me if this counts as a dad joke or not. So we were at my son's Little League practice, the whole family one night, because practice is from 7.30 to 9.00. We're at practice, and my lovely wife, Elena, standing there beside me, and they get in a rundown. Are you all familiar with what a rundown is? Where a yes. guy gets caught between two bases, and they're running him down, throwing the ball back and forth. Well, they call that a pickle. I don't, yeah, see, there you go. And one of the kids is screaming, pickle, pickle, pickle. And Elena looks at me. Now, Elena watches baseball a lot. Elena played softball growing up, but for some reason, she doesn't know this term. So she looks at me and goes, why aren't they calling it a pickle? And I said, well, that's one of the things you call a rundown and she kind of was like okay and i looked at her and i said what's the big deal babe and she rolls her eyes <laughs> and at me and i said oh was that joke not kosher for you and then she rolls her eyes again and i said hey these are my bread and butter and then i was, I was done it was three times immediately in a row and i was done i have peaked as a dad and dad jokes does that count as a dad joke oh yeah oh yeah oh, that's that good. is that is a triple triple play it's a triple play. There's a dad joke. Nice. Dave is like on all about fire. This is just going to be one baseball term after another. Dave's going to mm, just mm, drop mm. them all over the place. We're, Mateo, you and I are going to be in a pickle by the time he's through. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, I promise this whole podcast is not an experience, a conspiracy to make Mateo read about sports, but this is like our second <laughs> book in a row that his sports. Uh, so Mateo, uh, yeah. you are, I, I'm probably the resident baseball fan of the podcast. I probably watch mm. the most baseball of us here as a yeah. slight obsession with my team. So, um, Mateo, what were your thoughts on the book in general and the baseball in it? So 
my baseball career ended mid season of coach pitch when I was stepping up to bat as an angel with my blue and yellow jersey with my red hat and the coach pitches the ball and hits me in the head and i remember crying so hard and deciding to never play baseball ever again mm. um that was the end of my baseball career now that being said my mom is the largest rangers fan so i grew up being a massive rangers fan um uh, but i am nothing of a fan compared to doris kern's goodwin and and i i don't i don't even know if i'm as much of a fan as of baseball as i am a fan of her writing about baseball <laughs> <laughs> i agree i'm with you on that, Mateo. I just Absolutely. I also want to point out before we get too far past that I think six year old Doris Kearns Goodwin would have told Mateo that he's soft. I just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. For well, because sure. she even talks she talks about in the book about she learned to write narrative because she would narrate for her dad what happened during the game when he was at work, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think is a very interesting little tidbit of like why. Doris Kearns Goodwin became Doris Kearns Goodwin like she is. Yeah. And she, like so many children, I thought it was interesting. She pointed out like um, the um, uh, like that was that was her way of like capturing her father's attention. Right. At the end of the day of work, he hasn't she hasn't seen him all day. Like and for this short time while she is telling this game. Like, re- you know, repeating it back for him. This is the time when they, they have together, right? So, like, so many yeah. children, like, dad's attention is huge. Do you um, feel like y'all's kids have that with y'all? Like, is there, like, a thing that your kids are more excited about because they know that you're excited about it and then it gets them a little extra time or attention? Kind of reminds me of Teddy Roosevelt's, like, coughing attacks, right? Like... It was like he did it because he wanted his dad's attention or, or no, no, I'm sorry. He, he, they were real, but maybe exaggerated. Oh yeah. I think there's definitely stuff like that. It's like, that, and we, I kind of try to find like that one thing. I don't think I've found it with all of them yet, but like what's our thing? Like is our thing like barbecue is our thing, like watching baseball or what's our thing. You know what I mean? Like, um, but yeah, she loves like she, cause she had his, undivided attention mm. with with the baseball games that's what she wanted i mean i think she liked the baseball uh but i mean i think that was the real key was like if she talked about like he would come home was, this book was really funny with the slice of like 1950s america that you get um yeah. he would because he would come home and change into like a different outfit and then he and his wife would have a cocktail and then she knew that after they had cocktails like she could corner him and he'd want to know about the baseball game. It was a really funny, just, um, what did you, I mean, it, what did you guys think about that whole slice of the fifties? Were you like, what was your thought? I loved it. Um, it was so teaching, teaching history. Um, what part of what we cover is the fifties. 
Um, and so we cover everything from like Sputnik and the Cold War and um, the expectations for women and culture and social norms and stuff. So we, we talk a lot about that, but to like, so I've, you know, I've read it and I've learned it and I've, you know, but to see this like personal insight, especially so well pre presented, like I, I could go on about how beautiful this book is. Um, and so to have that perspective, I'm like, Oh my word, that's, that's incredible. Like we'll get into some of the, the cultural stuff, I think a little bit later on, but to, um, um, to, to read that was really, was really fun. It kind of yeah. opened up my perspective on it. Yeah. It made me feel a little envious to be honest. Like a little, a little envious to not know what that was like mm. to be in New York prior to even like suburban expansion and to have a doctor on call and a local butcher and a pharmacy that sells soda. <laughs> I mean, just what a cool picture. Of you. I mean, yeah, I don't have any concept of what that was like, except of uh, Back to the Future. Mm. Uh, uh, David Halperson's book, The 50s, is really long, but it's really good. It gets into a lot of David Halberstam. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's really good. I'll send you guys the link. We'll put the link in the show notes, too. Why not? Uh, yeah. But he's, he's done a lot of like, he does, but he's got a couple of baseball books, but he also did, um, I think the best and the brightest about the Kennedy White House and how they got in, into Vietnam and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, anyway, it's really, he gets into like the creation of McDonald's and all kinds of different stuff that just everything happening in the fifties. The fifties gets romanticized a little bit, uh, probably only by certain people of a, People of a certain paler skin color, I imagine. Um, I, I, I could assume that a lot of people don't romanticize the 50s for obvious reasons. Um, baseball gets romanticized for a lot of reasons. Um, did you guys feel like the book was overly romantic? In the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Very, but very much so. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, well, she doesn't, she doesn't uh, whitewash what the 50s were really like, it's especially at the end of the book. She really gets into more stuff. But um, I didn't. Yeah, I, I thought it was it was. I love a good baseball romance. I think the baseball there, there's some, there is something to me about baseball that there isn't about the other sports in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm kind of a sucker for a good baseball, romantic baseball thing. Um, we should we should all get together and watch a Field of Dreams. That'd be great. I mean, Field of Dreams is the perfect it, it's the perfect one because you got the its fathers and sons and mm -hmm. and all you know uh, and playing catch with your dad and yeah. regret about not playing playing catch with your dad and his dad. You know, it, it's a, I could go on about Field of Dreams too, but anyway. Um, that's the one with Joseph in his coat of many colors. Wow. Yeah, that's that. That is the field of dreams, Mateo. That's it. <laughs> Joseph at his at his technicolor baseball uniform. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, 
we actually we actually watched Field of Dreams with the kids a while back. Um, and I had previewed the language and thought it would be fine. And then there were a couple of things that happened and I was like, forgot about that. So anyway. Um, you romanticized the movie. I, I did. I did. I, 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 I tend to do that with movies I watched with that when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, that was clean. And then I watch it and I'm like, what were my parents doing? Mm. How did we watch that? That was awful. Of course, we probably saw a lot of them on cable. So, so they probably so were a little censored. Is yeah. that the best baseball movie in y'all's opinion? Field of Dreams? It's I mean, close. it's no rookie of the year. Oh, come on. Yes. My wow. boy. I'm kidding. Wow. Oh, Dang. don't kid. I watched Angels in the Outfield. I watched Rookie of the Year when Disney Plus came, like originally launched. And um, I cried watching that. You will cry watching A Field of Dreams. Um, that's you not will the one with the angels coming. No, that's no, that's no, angels. That's different. Um, let's see. According to MLB.com, the best baseball movie of all time is Bull Durham. I would dispute that. Mm. Uh, they've got they've got Field of Dreams listed number four, but um, anyway. what's two and three? Uh, Bull Durham, A League of Their Own, The Pride of the Yankees, which is a 1942 black and white one about Lou Gehrig. Field of Dreams, The Nate Men Out, Moneyball, and The It's still top five. It's still top five. I'm good. You've got Sandlot listed eight. Why is there's no there's no world there's no world in which Sandlot is behind a league of their own. I'm sorry. (laughs) Where's Major League on the list? uh, Let's see. Hold on. Oh, good question. Major League was number ten. What about Major League Two? I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. <laughs> well, we'll be I here mean, all night. We've got an episode. Yeah, we do. Uh, they also have the, the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson listed number oh. 19. That seems criminally low to me because that was a really good movie. But It's interesting because it's Doris Kearns Goodwin's memoirs a little bit, but it is about growing up as a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And it is about her relationship with her dad, her baseball team, her neighbors, and everybody and everything involved, like in that era, because she's got good at that time. Of course, this is this gets back into the baseball romanticism, but you've got the Dodgers, the Mets, not not the Mets, sorry, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Yankees, all in New York in different boroughs. And it is about their neighborhood with Dodgers fans and Giants fans and Yankees fans and just her formative years and how um, like life is happening. She's growing up. Her sisters are graduating. She's going from little girl to like, you know, young woman. And um, in the meantime, her mom is dealing with an illness and passing away. And it's, it's about like life happening and like baseball at the same time. And it's just so well done and there's yeah. so many really good tie-ins and just historical tie-ins and it's really it's really I grounded think, and it's beautiful and I loved it. I, I really enjoyed texts from Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, my headphones died. I really enjoyed texts from Dave just constantly talking about the style of writing and just George Kern is a good one as a writer. 
because I was right there with you. It's like, it's just <laughs> gushing over her writing. I just mm. love that. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that made me feel very envious reading this was how I don't have the same. It was so cool that she could mark her life by years according to what the Dodgers were doing. Mm-hmm. 47, this is what my life looked like. And this is what the Dodgers did. 48 for 950, all the way up to 57, you know, which maybe we'll get to is kind of a big year or 56. Maybe it was. I just, I felt really jealous that I don't have that same. I'm not, a, I'm not a, like a, I'm a baseball fan, but not like obsessive. I mean, it's different now. I think like if I lived in the 1950s with the Dodgers and the Giants and the Yankees and I'm a New Yorker, like I could see being, and I mean, you're just like listening on the radio and like, uh, it, it was so cool. Like I do really, I, but I, I, it's like, what do I, it's like, now I like mark my life by, you know, Marvel releases instead. Like that's what mm-hmm. I have. Well, it, it, this is where I think the romanticism is interesting because there's a part of it that you're like, okay, I don't want to overly romanticize life in the 50s because like we said, it wasn't great for everybody. Um, but we have lost some things because I, how many of your neighbors do you guys know? And so I think there is something lost a little bit because we have such a digital life now that you don't connect with the people that you're surrounded by. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think part of it is, well, I mean, you're right. So like technology is kind of this double-edged sword where it, you know, it does, it does make the world a smaller place, right? Like we were talking about before we could, while Mateo's in France, we could literally have another episode as if nothing's changed. But you're right. At the same time as it making the world smaller, like we've started um, ignoring or, or losing sight of the people around us. It's just like, it's just like in the Wright brothers, right? When the bicycles invented and the parents are scared. I know mm-hmm. Aaron, you love that quote. It's like just the, takes kids the seductiveness of the bicycle. Yeah. I liked they talked about it with the TVs, right? Like there's this cool time where the TV, the first TV on her block, what was it like a seven inch TV? She like, I just love the way she told that story of mm-hmm. all the way up until the, the 18 inch TV. <clears throat> and then, yeah, like, I don't know. It was just like, it was just fascinating. You can, you can, it's a new technology being massively adopted mm-hmm. and what it's doing to change their life. I mean, not like positive negative, just literally changing like the way they do life. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Well, well yeah, the TVs are interesting because she talks initially about TVs brought people together because the first one on their block, Everybody would go watch TV. The whole neighborhood would come watch TV. And then somebody else got one. And so eventually they would like do like Monday night at one house, Tuesday night at another house. But then eventually, once everybody got a TV, then the TV kept everybody apart. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Think about it like social media, like when Facebook, you know what I mean? A person's like, oh, how cool is this? I can keep up with what's going on in David Mateo's lives all the time. And now we're like, everybody's an idiot. I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. Um, 
but you know what I mean? Like, not you guys, other people. Yeah, um, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I think too, companies. I think I think too. There's something to be said about like just personal, like just like safety issues. One of the things that one of the quotes that I liked from her in the book was, "If we never thought of our neighborhood as safe, that was because it never occurred to us that it could be otherwise." Yeah. Um, right. So, and I remember even in growing up in my own old neighborhood as a kid, you know, I was nine, ten, and I would just go and ride my bike, and I would ride my bike a ways from my house, like out of my neighborhood, um, you know, like all over the place. Right. And so, um, but nowadays, like I can't, I've got a 10 year old. I can't imagine sending him out. We got to I mean, we're out in West Texas. Like there are trucks that are of an unbelievable size and, you know, you can't see a little 10 year old on his bike trying to cross the street. So it was just, you know, it was a different time in a lot of ways. Um, and, and one of them is, one of them was, uh, had to do with safety. Yeah. 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 I thought it was interesting because this book has some, uh, Wright brothers feel to it. Thank you. Talked about Mateo because like you have a dad, you know, a prominent dad, but then you have a mom with physical problems. Um, and she gets her love of books from her mom who reads and reads and reads. Um, and so she's reading like her mom, but then she's narrating baseball games for her dad. I thought it was really interesting how the parenting kind of played out in the, their lights and, and then the different things. Um, like she talked about reading Jean Ear, Wuthering Heights, Anna Karenina. There you go, Dave. She and Perry Roosevelt have something in common, but, um, we, she's, we, keeps the book keeps coming up. I wonder if we shouldn't you read Anna Karenina for an, for an episode. Uh, I will. Ready for um, two years from now. <laughs> yeah, we'll finally finish it. If, if we start, it, how long did it take us to do this podcast on a book that's like two hundred and eighty pages, Dave? Yeah, I know we're still going. We're not even halfway done yet. <laughs> yeah. Did you read this book, by the way, Dave? I mean, I was just curious. I did. Oh, dude, you had to go there. Yes, I did. I finished it like a month ago. Okay. When we originally were going to do this podcast on baseball's opening day? Yes. Or that would have been two months ago. No, a month ago. month ago, yeah. Yes, it's all done. Yeah. I thought it was funny how she talked about, you know, you've got the three teams in New York and who you rooted for, like, said something about you. Like, it wasn't just, oh, I root for the Dodgers or the Giants. It was like that that said something about who you were as a person. I thought that was really funny. Just the, the interaction there. And we probably don't have that as much now. I don't guess, but anyway, I mean, my kids have asked me, you know, about baseball teams and I've told them, look, I'm a Cardinals fan. You can root for whoever you want to. It doesn't matter to me. Just know that if you start rooting for the Cubs, you're going to be moving out that day. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I don't think your team says much about you, but um, um, I did, I did really appreciate you mentioned um, uh, her mom and dad. I really appreciated their relationship, at least her perspective on their relationship. Um, like the, what was it? Old fashions they would have after work. I forget what cocktail it was, but it was like, 
kind of this standard thing, but they had it every day. Like that was their time. She would just talk to him and he would listen and tell her about his day. And then after she died, like he never had another one. Yeah. Right. Cause that drink was so tied to the love of his life. Um, and it was just, and even after he remarried, like it was just, that was, that was a different thing. That was a sacred how sweet was that? How sweet was that scene where she's out with her dad and they're, you know, talking baseball and earlier in that night, his mom, his wife, her mom was getting dressed in her blue dress and heading out to like an event or something. And so their daughter and father are out just chatting right? Just talking. And she says that out of nowhere, he just stops and says, how beautiful did your mom look tonight in that blue dress? Oh, it just gutted me. Like, I think, I think what stood out to me is like, oh, those moments matter in a kid's life. They stand out when we randomly to our kids, to, to our daughter, compliment our wife when they're not around mm, yeah show that level of affection and love there's an ah man i i yeah i think old-fashioned if if the drink wasn't old-fashioned dave i hope it was because like that's such a great definition of their relationship right just so old-fashioned mm. and beautiful yeah but not in not in like the typical 50s way one of the things that that um doris highlighted was this 50s kind of cultural thing like the men have come home from war women it's time to take up your role at home and how a woman giving up on her career and plans for her future to stay home and take care of the kids like how that was like became very much a cultural thing like that's what was prized this is your role a lot of it like spun out of fear of uh unemployment and all of these kinds of things. Um, but you know, like women get back in the kitchen. Um, and that's what, um, she was, Doris was experiencing even as a, a young girl, like, like feeling that. Um, but her, her dad is so atypical in the sense of like, uh, encouraging her to be a free spirit. And like, <laughs> there was a story about how she was going to go see a cowboy movie that she didn't like with a boy because she liked the boy. And he told her, you've already wasted your time once. Don't do it a second time. <laughs> 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 right. So encouraging her like curiosity and her free spirit and yeah. asking questions and exploring and being who she was. And that's yeah. shown um, uh, in conjunction with her friend, right. Her neighbor, best, like best friend who had a very, very different experience. Well, she was a Yankees fan. So <laughs> she was a Yankees fan, wasn't she? I've forgotten about see, that. Who you, who you root for says a lot about you. See, <laughs> wow, nice. So possibly, well, okay. There's these, these probably my two favorite parts of the book, and they're both connected. North Carolina Goodwin is very Catholic, and 
she's concerned because she's been told by the nuns to set foot in another church is to put one's mortal soul in danger. Mm-hmm. And so her dad assures her that this is this is not that, that they can go to this other church that is not Catholic and her soul will be fine. But she's not completely, doesn't completely buy that. Um, she's pretty concerned about her soul. So then there's a train wreck and she sneaks out of the house at like six or seven years old, maybe eight, maybe to go to the train wreck because she thinks she can give people last rites because there's snow on the ground. So she's pretty sure she can just use the snow as holy water and help them perform last rites and get her soul out of mortal peril. Um, of all the reasons I can see my kids sneaking out of the house right now, that, that is not on the list. But Taya, what would you do if you found out one of your kids snuck out of the house to try to go see a train wreck? <laughs> um, be like, again? again? <laughs> <laughs> if I've told you what I've told you a thousand times, then it's not okay. This is this this leads us to my favorite sentence in the whole book. It, it's this: the warnings of the nuns tumbled through my head, convincing me that I had traded the life of my everlasting soul for the joy of one glorious night when I held Roy Campanella's strong hand in a forbidden church. <laughs> so. Good. I read that maybe five or six times. <laughs> that, that I mean, the uh, I feel like the nuns really did a number on Doris Kearns Goodwin. If I'm being oh, honest, oh man, they had that poor little girl scared of of uh, eternal damnation all the time. Man, she was uh, and she was constantly doing things to try to like even the score, like Roy Campanella that that. Ill, Ill, ill-gotten handshake really uh, haunted this poor little girl's childhood. <laughs> what about when she goes, was it confession? And she's like, uh, I've wished harm on people. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, but, what? <laughs> but she tried to, she tried to bury it in with like some uh, other minor things. Yeah. I didn't pay attention in class. Da, 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 da. I wished harm on people. I did this. I did this. And then the guy was like, let's go back to that thing. <laughs> what was that one thing? And she was like, wasn't it the Phillies or somebody? She had wished that their their base best player would get hurt. Their pitcher, pitcher would break his arm. Yeah, yeah. And, and she made it just... seem like he kind of like enjoyed that comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he was a Dodgers fan, I mean, he probably just prayed the same prayer. I mean. One slice of 1950s America that lasted until at least the ni- early 1990s that we don't have today is the art of prank calling. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, our kids will never know what that was like, but they used to, call, they were calling people and asking for Prince Albert in a can. Uh-huh. And that, your- that little slice, that little slice of Americana lasted uh-huh. a few decades. Yeah. Is, uh, is Seymour Butts there? <laughs> why are your, why are your ranchers so jolly? <laughs> is your refrigerator running <laughs> but thanks to caller id and everything our kids will that, that that will not be 
it'll be like a rotary phone to them. They'll read that and they'll be like, I heard about that. My dad talked about that, but never so someone called you and you didn't know who it was, but you answered it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I have not answered a phone call that I didn't know who it was in years, mm. maybe, maybe even decades, probably. So <laughs> I just assume if I don't know who you are, it can't be important. So you'll just leave. And if it is, you'll just leave me a message. Yeah. If you don't leave me a message, it clearly wasn't important. So uh, when I, because I have to shoehorn this into every episode, when I won the Distinguished Cormoro Destin of the Year Award. Oh um, my word. Yeah. Uh, I got that call and didn't answer it. That went to voicemail. I had to call them back. But, <laughs> did they leave no, a message? They did. That's oh. how I ended up getting the award as they left the message. I guess must, they, it must have been important. That must have been a light year for former Odessa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a, a personal question for you both. How do y'all feel about audio messages? How do I feel about them? Yeah. My phone transcribes it so I can just read it. So it's fine. Oh, really? How'd you do that? Mine just does it automatically. Yeah. That's nice. Mateo, what what, what kind of phone do you have, Mateo? (laughs) I've got a rotary phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, on an iPhone, like when when somebody leaves you a voicemail, it transcribes it. No, not voicemail, like a voice text. Like a voice oh. message. Oh, voice text. My wife has discovered the beauty of those, and she will voice text with a friend of hers. They're, they visited us just last week, and so they will voice text back and forth. I have yet to, like, I guess it's just not my natural inclination, and so I don't think to do it. Yeah. Also, when I'm texting, I'm usually, like, there's students or other people around, so I'm not like, Hey, I'm going to talk into my phone discreetly here real quick. Um, but yeah, I mean that in addition to like, I just don't, I don't think to do it. Do you enjoy them? No, I don't. When I get them, I reply in text form because I don't enjoy them. And I always oh, wow. wonder how the recipient rec- like feels about that. I'm going to start putting them in our text string now just because, but <laughs> so, just so I can see Mateo replying in text. Mateo, can you do a te- can you do a podcast on Thursday? I, I just uh, think it's funny, like that. You know, I remember when text messaging was growing, and people were just like, "Call me old fashioned," but I prefer to talk on the phone. And now I'm getting voice texts, and like, "Call me old fashioned," but I prefer a text message <laughs> <laughs> with with proper with proper punctuation, please. <laughs> right. Oh, then you, then you guys really offended me. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I mean, at this point, like most, most conversations really don't take an actual conversation. So, I mean, just send me a text with your question. Why do we have to call each other and be like, Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? You just want to know something. Just ask me the question. Let's just get this over with. Even people I like talking to, I'm the same way about it. Like, let's have a conversation, but you probably called me for something. So just, what is it? Anyway. Yeah. I'm probably not. I'm probably not a good people person. So there you go. Uh, and Doris Kearns Goodwin didn't have to worry about that when she was growing up, did she? Mm. So this, the fifties, all you want to, but they didn't have to deal with voice tech. She was a talker though. I loved, I loved the, when she was describing like, well, I guess they got stars for reading books and they would lose stars for 
talking and she was like, I just couldn't stop talking. She wrote it much more beautifully. I'm saying it like, I just couldn't stop talking. And I thought it was so unfair that <laughs> I could lose a star, um, a punishment for something that I'd done. I don't know. I just thought that was really, really sweet memory of a long time ago thing. Speaking of reading, what did you guys think of the, of the scene? It's after her mom has had like a mini stroke. Yeah. And she's really self-conscious about how she's talking. And so um, Doris and her mom start trading off reading through uh, Charles Dickens, David Copperfield. That was really neat. Ah, I thought that was just a really good. That, that, that's what the, she and her mom had in common was those books. Mm, right. She and her dad had the baseball. She and her mom had the books. And so that kind of became the way to kind of connect and help. And that was just really, I thought really a neat, just a neat scene. Yeah. Agreed. I cried. I, I teared up a little bit. It was, there was, there was, it was just really, just a really sweet, sweet point in the book. She's, she she does such a good job building up these scenes and giving you climactic and then payoffs in these short moments I yeah. felt the same thing with the Jackie Robinson autograph story, right? Because mm -hmm. what does he write? He like she's like hands him the book to be an autograph, and she wants this autograph her entire young <laughs> life, right? He's her favorite player, and she has the opportunity. She goes to a thing that she doesn't want to go to, which is kind of another like little side point that I picked up on is like she has this beautiful relationship with her dad. Tangent here. She has this beautiful relationship with her dad. We all pick up on that. And then there's like this like small comment. I think she like turns almost like 12 or something. And she mentions how she's like embarrassed by her dad. It was just really like humanizing. It was really, I, f I think I'm going through that with my daughter right now. She's eight. And there's certain things that like embarrass. I'm, I don't mean to, I don't want to, but like, like for one instance, like she makes me, turn down the radio when we when i'm dropping her off at school i think she like is afraid i'm gonna sing well nobody listens nobody listens to depeche mode anymore but i hate to tell you but yeah that's my and daughter and i's thing aaron how dare you <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways the this the scene we're getting jackie robinson's autograph and he pulls the book she just tells us so beautifully he he takes the book She's looking at it for a long time and he smiles and then he gives it back and she's too afraid to open it and read it. Like she like has to hold it for a moment before she can, her hero is just autographed her book. And it was just such a sweet little like note that Jackie Robinson wrote her that like you could just tell was like super meaningful to her. Yeah. She's such a great, such a great writer. Yeah. I loved her before this my appreciation and love for her has just skyrocketed skyrocketed after reading this so we've all done team of rivals right yes so which compared to um team of rivals are very different books but if you could if you were going to be stranded on a desert island with only one doris kearns goodwin book which would it be i mean I have to say Team of Rivals because it's just going to take me longer. <laughs> uh, and, uh, um, I think I would, I would want to be with the humanity of wait till next year. Okay. 
I that's a that's a good one. I might go I might go team of rivals, but it's close. It's very mm-hmm. close. If I tried to grab team of rivals off the shelf and accidentally got wait till next year, I wouldn't be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows what circumstances are gonna lead to me being on a desert island with just one book. So who's to say what 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 would happen? So the uh we talked about the butcher. I love um the scene where the butcher's got the hat and that he won't he keeps wearing the hat because he thinks it's a good luck charm and she's trying to get him to wear a different hat because mm-hmm. she's convinced that that's what's gonna stop the giant's uh winning streak. That was funny to watch a little girl run through like the the mental gymnastics of if I can just get him to wear a different hat, they're gonna lose a game. So did uh I read an article from like the Atlantic, I think that was written in 1950, um, ranting and raving about how baseball played at night would be the end of the game. I should have sent that to you guys, but it was just funny. Uh, but when she's writing, like two thirds of games were still during the day. So that's mm-hmm. kind of funny to think about, uh, just like now day baseball is a much more rare occurrence, but for her, that was. Just typical. She talks about skipping school to watch a playoff game. Yeah, I was really confused when, I mean, it's game seven of the World Series and they have, like, they're listening to it in school. What I thought was really sweet that, like, the principal, like, the school is, like, letting them listen to it. But I was really confused. Like, that's, like, what, three, two o'clock in the afternoon? This is game seven of the World Series. What are you talking about? Well, um, at this point, I think every, Everybody but the Cubs had lights. The Cubs wouldn't get lights until the 80s. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, it was still pretty new trying to play baseball at night. Uh, just kind of a funny thing to think about. Like, yeah, the whole World Series was played while I was at school today. What happened? Hmm. Uh, what? Um, man, so, many good, so much good stuff in here. How, do you remember, I remember how old she was when her mom passed away? I can't remember. 15. 15? That was, if there was any part of the book that really made my allergies act up, it was probably right around there somewhere. Yeah. My pal is gone. My pal is gone. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Oh, yeah. The the dad's reaction was just. Gut-wrenching. This is not that, but when they talk about. being prepared for like nuclear bombs oh, yeah. and she's got yeah. this suitcase and she's got this plan for the whole neighborhood to like live in the basement. Like, did you guys ever in school do a nuclear like drill? Uh, I mean, I remember tornado drills. I don't remember nuclear Holocaust drills. I feel like <laughs> Maybe I'm making this up. I know we did tornado drills, but I feel like we also did a nuclear one. But I could be wrong because they were basically the same thing. Well, I say that basically at the same time. I also remember hiding under my desk. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I feel like that that was the nuclear one. Okay. Which because we, I mean, you you needed to get away from windows for uh, a tornado, but yeah. In a nuclear explosion, the last thing you're worried about are the windows. 
Because in a nuclear explosion, that death is going to stop it. Everything. Yeah. Uh, which is why, I mean, the Russians started making their buildings after school desks because they were afraid what we were going to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's another like lost, like, uh, kids don't have, I mean, they have active shoot. I mean, you're in school, Dave. There's active shooter drills, but there's not nuclear drills. You know, it's kind of a funny, not funny, but just a real interesting, like, dynamic change of what, like, what we're concerned about for, for valid reasons. But it was just interesting to read about. They also that. had a game called McCarthyism. <laughs> like, what? Yes. But they basically emulated Joseph McCarthy and broke each other down. Oh, that was so funny. Like, made each other cry sort of, until like, they realized sort of, it wasn't a game. <laughs> they were basically playing like psychological hunger games, but they didn't like destroying each other. And then they realized, oh, oh gosh, maybe we shouldn't be like Joseph McCarthy. Maybe that's a bad idea. I loved it that she said like one day they sat around, they asked who was going to be the accused and nobody wanted to play. So they just decided not to play today. And she said, and just like that, the fever was broken. <laughs> like, uh, well, I bet. I mean, I would assume nobody wanted to be the first person to say, "Let's not play today," because then you're the you're the commie, you're the soft commie that doesn't want to be interrogated. So, um, yeah, just a real interesting, like slice of like what life was like at the time. So, see, the fifties weren't all good. Our kids aren't going to grow up playing Joe McCarthy. So, I thought she did uh, a great job too of of talking about the Alabama the what is it what is it called the Little Rock Nine the Little Rock Nine yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought she did a fantastic job being very fair and just telling that story you know and it was such a unique way and I think even fair of I liked where there was the New York Times reporter who went and comforted the young girl and ends up getting beaten, which he was a, a dad of a schoolmate of hers. Mm. And sometime later they invite the reporter to come speak to the school. And he, and Doris Kearns Goodwin acknowledges he went into some detail and, and he spoke on everything they expected and more and ended up calling out New York because she said, you know, we were somewhat, I can't remember the exact language she used, but you know, somewhat, um, ignorant, ignorant, and 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 like a little like egotistical of our own like self righteousness about how great we are doing with being mm-hmm. progressive here in New York. Yeah, and he calls them out on on some of the 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 district redlining and the the housing. I thought she did a great job of being really fair and yeah, like you said, not whitewashing that particular part of history. I think that those teachers sort of filled a very important role of helping her like navigate and understand what was going on. And then her beloved Brooklyn Dodgers decided to leave New York in mm. the most serious thing that she'd ever experienced in her life. Did y'all know what where the Brooklyn Dodgers name comes from? Mm-hmm. They were really the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. 
there's people when they put the trolleys in people would get run over by them and then trolley dodging became a thing and so they were the brooklyn trolley dodgers originally and so now they're in la with no trolleys whatsoever yeah. they're still the brooklyn dodgers so yeah she finds out that the uh the dodgers are leaving and it's the a place of an infamy which now crossed the centuries from Judith Iscariot to Benedict Arnold to Walter F. O'Malley. That's, <laughs> That's a, pretty, a great line. A pretty, pretty good That's line. Really history. good. It was Judith and then Benedict Arnold and then the Dodgers owner. That's where it goes. So, um, yeah, it, I, it, it's interesting because that piece of like baseball history, um, you had Willie Mays for the Giants. Mickey Mantle for the Yankees, then Duke Snyder for the Dodgers. There's even a song, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Um, so that was sort of like this iconic moment. It was just shattered to the Dodgers and Giants just picked up and went across the country. And it's kind of an interesting, like, it it works for her, but I think it works for the country as a whole of, like, the, the end of a certain era of, like, boom, full stop. Uh, on this side was Eisenhower and the 50s and on this side is Vietnam and Kennedy and Johnson and the civil rights era and there's just sort of like this big break and for her it's sort of identified as the Dodgers um, which kind of fits does that make sense to you guys? Yeah I thought, it, I thought the book wrapped up really really well like I don't there were parts of me that was like these stories wrap up so neatly. Like I wonder, but then I'm, I'm like, I'm wonder like Doris, like the timing of everything, like, did this really happen? But at the same time, I don't want to question her because she's Doris Kearns Goodwin. <laughs> she, and is. she is, she t occupies two of the four spots on my historian, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Well, I did email her to see if she wanted to, to participate in the podcast, and she never replied. So I don't know if that never how you replied. Do. I mean, she is in her eighties now, and I feel like probably doesn't check her check the email from her website. But Bill, I don't know if you want to hold that against her or not, Dave. But. I I can't. Okay, I can't. I can't stay mad at you for long, Doris Kearns Goodwin. <laughs> it's just impossible. Mateo, uh, you talked about this a little bit earlier, but does she just remember her childhood better than we do, or is something else going on here? I mean, it's never even entered my mind that this could be fabricated until they've just said it. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, Dave. <laughs> you didn't mean to plant Dave, a seed of Dave, anything Dave malicious. Dave says Doris Goodwin is a liar. Wow. I mean, I, that, I, I guess it, that might it, get it, her attention. Podcast, every podcast has Dave hate in it. But. <laughs> Why are you it trying to my make mind? When oh. she was talking about going going back to the Little Rock Nine, she mentioned her mom and her dad's comments watching the scenes, saying her mom said, "I don't know much, but I know one thing." And why isn't anybody helping, standing up to let those kids in? I'm like, oh, that's really pretty, flowery, nice sentiment. And then her dad's, and she's like raging against her dad, like, "Why did you vote for Eisenhower?" And he has some real great kind of reply. But honestly, I just think she had great parents, right? Like, I just think he was that kind of dad. I liked when he, I mean, yeah, yeah. 
his defense of Eisenhower, I thought was pretty great. Just he was a different kind of Republican. Right? He's like, what did they say? Like he has no experience in this game. He's like, yeah, that's why we, that's what we need right now. I mean, the last Republican had been Hoover. Yeah. So all that, that went, and, and that went really well. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't really all of Herbert Hoover's fault, but anyway, he was just the guy holding the bag when everything cracked. Um, are you going to correct me on that, Dave? Are you going to fill up with some Herbert Hoover hate and tell us why we're wrong? Uh, no, I don't hate. Herbert Hoover, I think he was an incredibly brilliant man who had a very sad childhood that stunted him for most, if not the rest of his days. And I think he was handed a, uh, a ticking time bomb of, uh, of a position, one that he had done his best to try and like defuse before it went off. And then once he was in the chair, like, I mean, that was, that was that there were some things he could have done differently in response to it, but he was also not a politician. I think it would have been better if he had just been handed the reins and like, okay, you tell us what to do. But at the same time, he also believed in small limited government and that that was best. So anyway, I, that was, that was I, didn't realize, I didn't realize I had that many thoughts on it, but there you go. There you go. Dave well, was just going to riff on Herbert Hoover. Yeah. That was something about bull, Bully Pulpit. I am going to go back and finish it um, once I get to a less stressful part of my life where I can think deeper thoughts than I can right now. But um, she gets into like Taft and his childhood. Um, he wanted to be like Supreme Court justice. He didn't want to be president. No. And he had no desire whatsoever. And his wife was actually the political genius. And she had a stroke like a month into his presidency. And he like he had no political instincts. She did. Mm. And then when she had a stroke, she lived, but it was basically incapacitated for most of the presidency, practically speaking. And he had no like guiding influence. And then Teddy Roosevelt rolls back into the seat at rolls back into the US from Europe and bless Teddy Roosevelt's heart. He's like, what the heck is going on here? I left you here to continue what I started and you're not doing it. So anyway, it was just, it was really interesting because she gets into their childhoods and Taft's parents were very like demanding and perfectionist. And he was just a really like gentle soul who just wanted to be a judge. And he didn't want to be president and didn't want to do all this stuff. And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt is like this wild animal that gets released from a cage and is like fighting with everybody. Um, so anyway, I, I sent you guys a quote about Teddy Roosevelt telling the guy he was going to fight him and kick him in places and take him down. So, Oh anyway. man, that was so good. I'm going to remember yeah, that it, story forever. Yeah. Taft was the same way. And he didn't, he wasn't really looking to be president. He didn't want to be president. He just kind of got stuck there. Um, so anyway, Doris, Doris, it was a good book. I just had to bail because I just was stressed out. I'm sorry. Um, but I'll finish. I promise, Doris. Um, and I don't hate you like Dave does. So, hey. final, final reaction before we get into uh, any awards you guys may have or any in, in a cargo short rating. Any final reaction? 
How many cargo I shorts? Think. What's our maximum I, cargo short? Six. 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 Okay. That way you have to pick. You can't. You can't be in the middle. You gotta. And so far, we've we've liked all the books, but if we ever have one that we're moderate about, you have to either go three or four. You can't just although although we allow you to do point five, so you could do yeah. like three point one. But I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do f- uh, six as well. Yeah. So, I'm going to do six. I'm going to do six out of six and a fanny pack. Wow. Extra storage. Cargo storage for, for, for all the tissues that are needed when reading this book to wipe away the allergies. Dave, what's your, uh, what's your, uh, or sorry, Dave, Dave just did this. Mateo, what's your ranking? Oh yeah, it's an, it's an easy six. Oh um, man. Oh yeah. Are you are you about to to disappoint, Aaron? Are you about to be wrong? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't hate doors like you do, Dave. So I was just gonna um I was gonna go five point five just because I feel like it was really good, but I deducted point five for her Catholic theology. So um <laughs> wow. I deducted 5.5 for the nuns. Hold on, let me find the quote. Um, we were taught that if at a certain point in the Mass, you looked at the cross with absolute reverence in your heart, you would receive a full remission of all the sins you had committed. I'm just picturing this little girl, like, staring as hard as possible, like, turning red, like, gotta stare at the cross a little harder. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I could give it a six. I was just saying 5.5 because, you know, nobody's perfect, but I mean, his stories comes as close as anybody's going to get. So, uh, any awards you guys would like to give out? Uh, I'll give my dirty diaper award to the nuns. That's how we'll handle that. My, my dirty diaper go. goes, goes to the Catholic nun. Well deserved. Yeah. So my, my burning question, I'm sorry, I don't have any awards, but my burning question is, was Doris Krims Goodwin's dad a bad dad? Ooh, I would say no. No, absolutely not. In fact, I will give him the uh, the duct tape award for like binding, doing his best to bind up his own wounds and shield his family from uh, the hurt and grief that still plagued him from his childhood. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, that oh. was pretty that was pretty interesting. The things he went through as a kid that never really he never really talked about. And she kind of found out a little bit through other sources, but that he kind of just absorbed himself. Eric. Hey, Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. To the Army Bad Dads podcast. Are we bad dads? Are we bad dads? Podcast. Podcast. It would be awesome. It would be awesome. If you subscribed. If you subscribed. And reviewed it on iTunes. And you reviewed it on iTunes. Have a question? Have a question? Send it to them. Send it to them. At dads. At dads. At bad dad. At bad dad. Pod.com. Pod.com.
Bye-bye. Yeah. 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 Yeah.